podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the AI Premier League Preview Pod. On this week's show we'll be looking ahead to the return of Premier League football after another, let's face it, riveting international break comes to an end. And another opportunity to watch the Reds do their thing, another chance to watch that prolific Egyptian king. So on this week's show we're without a rival fan to discuss. <laughs> it's been a pretty difficult season for Palace but um, delighted to be joined by the excellent John Sullivan to discuss the pre-match talking points, plenty to discuss for the Reds of course. Uh, plenty still left to play for in, in this season, but wanted to start off with Palace a little bit, and then I guess uh, because we're, we are without a Palace fan this time round, John, just to bring you in was look at our sort of recent history against Palace. It's been a fixture that we've sort of looked at, um, I think, ever since that three-three really as one that's uh, we're not looking forward to. It's uncomfortable for us, and and, and there've been some uncomfortable results even since that time. Um, just to start off. What are your sort of overarching sort of memories of, of, of this fixture? Oh, Dwight Gale scoring a brace against us in uh, 2013 and 14, and just oh, it was just horrific. Just such a bog standard average player to dash your title dreams, especially especially the way it happened, being three 0 up, and also because it was a Tony Pulis team. There's no love lost between Liverpool fans and Tony Pulis. So it was just such a, an amalgam of just bad, bad things to happen. And for it to culminate in more or less taking the title away from us after a 20 odd year absence, uh, it, it was, it was painful. I don't really don't have good memories of Selhurst Park. Uh, it's a really atmospheric kind of old school stadium. And I, I would like it for many reasons, but, uh, the overriding and overarching memories of, of Selhurst Park are bad for me. And I'd say most Liverpool fans are in the same boat. Yeah, and, and do you think that sort of bad memories has sort of continued f- from that point? Because obviously, I think the year after it, we lost three one again, um, and it was Dwight, it was Dwight Gale again. I think Yadnak scored again, and and on the day, the only goal we actually managed was a goal in the second minute from uh, from Ricky Lambert, one of the few goals he did he did manage for us during his time at the club. So obviously, it wasn't wasn't a happy hunting ground then, and and then even looking at the results afterwards, it, there's like a win in the cup. That we managed a year later, then an, another loss at home. I think that was a uh, particularly poor one, and then back to back losses actually. So in, in sort of 2015. So in more recent in more recent games against them, it, it has seemed like we've we've been we've been starting to get rid of that hoodoo. Do you think it is mostly just just for us fans, just, sort of just ingrained in our memories from that? Uh, 2013-2014 season. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of baggage uh, that stems from that. Also, I seem to remember Yannick Balassi always giving Dejan Lovren a particularly hard time when he played for Palace. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, he's playing for our neighbours now and uh, he hasn't seemed to have uh, brought that form with him. But uh, they just had a lot of players that just seemed to dine out whenever they played Liverpool. We mentioned uh, Gale, obviously, and Balassi and the likes of Zaha, kind of pacey wingers that would get behind their fullbacks and for a long time, we had uh, no answer to them. So, uh, unfortunately, I think Zaha is back for this weekend. So, that's another player that could be quite problematic for us. Yeah, Zaha, obviously, I think, just big, physical, but fast, tricky wingers. Always proved difficult. Cause there's, there's, there's been plenty of those sort of uh, vines that have circulated over the years for, of Lovren sort of trying to deal with that. And um, obviously, I think, even to remind you of worse memories, it was uh, Big Sam's only win at Anfield ever <laughs> came into 
it was it was last year in April, wasn't it? Around around about um, a month off from this time, where he managed to get that win at Anfield, and, and it was thanks to Benteke as well. So uh, they they have had a lot of joy with us over the sort of recent years. Obviously, when they came to Anfield earlier in the season uh, under Frank de Boer, um, he was trying to perhaps move them move them into towards evolution a bit too quickly and. Uh, Sort of a strange game that we did. We probably expected to win comfortably, and then ended up actually only scraping a win in the end through a through a Mane goal. But um, do you re- remember much of that fixture early in the season? Yeah, I, actually, I remember that game. We we weren't that good at all. I, I seem to remember the goal came from Robertson, kind of pressing very high up the pitch, and it kind of yeah. had a lucky ricochet for Mane, and uh, it was good awareness from him in fairness, and he finished it. Um, I seem to remember Benteke missing a big chance in that game. I remember thinking this team are actually way better than how their form kind of uh, how their form was and where they were on the table and nosedive since then. And this kind of maybe vitalized them somewhat, but uh, that kind of very kind of good footboards the middle part of the season has kind of dissipated a certain part and they only find themselves three points above the relegation zone now. So unfortunately for us, this is a game that they really need to win as well. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 I think we were talking about on the sort of the last seven games preview that we were doing last week, just talking about the worst games that you want to come up against a team at this stage in the season are the ones where there is sort of a hint of something to yeah. play for. You want a team that's been on the beach for four weeks by yeah. this point. But um, mentioned there sort of us showing signs of overcoming that that hoodoo in recent years, you know, having a win over them, having a really impressive one. I remember that 4-2-1 despite sort of Lovren's sort of moments of madness in that game uh, a couple of years ago now, fighting back to win that game impressively. Do you think Klopp looks at this game as one that's you know, particularly difficult for us, or, or do you think that it's one that it is just a case of us playing to our strengths and actually you know, with some of the new signings like Van Dijk, the likes of Benteke are uh, sort of taken out of their arsenal as a weapon? Yeah, I think... Having Van Dijk obviously solidifies us so much defensively, but uh, a lot of Palace's game plan, I think, will be for second balls, which is something Liverpool invariably didn't really deal well with. But with Van Dijk, the communication is so much better. So if we can be kind of cognizant to the way they're going to play um, and allow to things like second balls, it really increase our chances of winning. But uh, it's not that I would say a smaller team would ever have an advantage over a bigger team, but the fact remains that they would have the last maybe 10 days, 10 to 12 days, they would have had the vast majority of their squad together in training, whereas Liverpool's players would be all over the world representing their countries. Early game after the international break. So from that regard, they might have a touch of an advantage. So uh, Klopp himself says he doesn't like these very early games. So I, I envision it being quite difficult. But if we play to our strengths and we play as well as we know we can, we should definitely win. But... There's a lot of ex-Liverpool players involved with Palace. Even Dr. Zaff and Roy Hodgson are on their, are on their staff. And it just feels like one of those games where the headlines are already written about the ex-players going back to haunt Liverpool. So as much as I think we should win, I'd be very wary of them. <clears throat> yeah, that Dr. Zaff reference there sort of taking me right back. It's really, really sad. But he's, I think he, he's obviously caught up in that as well now. And of course, you mentioned Hodgson. But... Um, Imagine. Obviously, I think yeah, yeah. Looking at it, you, 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 you're trying to get out of that mindset. I think this season as well, and I think Klopp's been eager to get Liverpool fans out of that mindset as well in terms of thinking about banana skins, thinking about the team not being reliable in games where they should win. And you look at Palace's form: one win in eight for them, only a two-nil win over Huddersfield in their last game. Was that 
was that win. But apart from that, they have have been on a pretty terrible run, 16th in, in the league, and as you mentioned, just two points in the relegation zone. So they have got stuff to fight for, but you'd imagine it's it's it's, it's going to be difficult. There's still work to be done there to help them avoid relegation. Um, do you think then those, those sort of classical ways in which Palace usually hurt us through through Zahar and Benteke, do you think it's going to be very much a case of just trying to neutralise those threats again? Yeah, I think I think Zaha, without Zaha, they really, really fall flat. Um, he's an outball for them. I watched their games recently against uh, United and against Spurs, and they lost both games. They weren't bad out the gate. I mean, they lost very late 3-2 to United. Uh, you know, they were, they were very defensive, and they sat very deep, but at the same time, they frustrated both of those teams. It took a late winner from Kane and a late winner from Matic to win either game. But without Zaha, they look just look so bereft of any kind of outball. Uh, you, you can ask any Liverpool fan. Christian Benteke's movement is absolutely abysmal. So he seems to spend yeah. a lot of time kind of just like loitering around, hands in his hips, not really offering himself. So this is this is definitely a game where I think Liverpool will look to press extremely high up and uh, kind of compress Palace into their half of the pitch, and they will look to Zaha as an outball. But uh, depending on what side he is on whether it be Trent Alexander-Arnold or against Robertson, I think uh, either of them could, could deal with him, especially Robertson. But yeah, like I said, he's he's 150% their most important player. And I think their bad run kind of coincided with him being missing for a while. No, for sure, yeah. I think he, he, he has been by far the most instrumental player for them. I remember seeing that United game as well. Um, and sort of seeing their outballs and, and, and seeing the way in which they were able to sort of keep themselves competitive in that game before that sort of wonder strike from Matic. But you mentioned sort of Trent there and, and, and Robertson. I think Robertson's picked up a slight knot tonight. Not not sure how serious that is. And of course, Gomez, we found out yesterday, was out injured for a month. Um, so Trent's going to be um, having that right back position for a while now. I mean, do you think he's got what it takes to face up well against somebody like Zaha? He's tricky, he's physical. Um, and although we've seen some, some great strides from Trent this season, do you think it's going to be a difficult task for him? It will definitely be difficult for him. And uh, to that to that end, I really hope that we kind of uh, play Emre Chan if he's fit and available. I don't know whether he is or not. Um, that will probably come out in the next few days. Kind of maybe Chan typically plays off the left side, but I kind of like him on the right side in close proximity to Alexander-Arnold because he's physical and he's he's quite adept at reading the game and intelligent. And also, I would have uh, Joel Matip there because Lovren really left him high and dry at Old Trafford. And the narrative amongst Manny seemed to focus on the 19-year-old midfielder who was playing in right-back in one of the biggest games in club football and not the 28-year-old Croatian defender who got the basics of his position totally wrong and left him exposed. So I think that's the kind of switches I would make to kind of uh, protect Trent a little bit. And then... Uh, and then he'll just grow into it, hopefully, and he'll uh, give us what he does going forward, which is uh, which is an excellent kind of option for us. Yeah, you mentioned there, I think, in, or you mentioned earlier, anyway, in terms of the way in which we're used to Benteke's movement because of his brief time at Liverpool as well, and 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 just just the way in which he seemed to, I think, one of these one of these myths around him that obviously, I mean, I think he is good in the air when he's given. Um, the service that he wants, but the service he wants is actually the ball fed straight to him rather than him actually making any sort of dynamic movement towards the ball. It's, it's, it's really strange the number of times where you'd imagine he'd, he'd come near post to try and get a flick on, and actually he'd just wait at the at the far post for the for the ball to get to him, and then you know, perhaps fall to the ground or, or or something like that. 
we, we've seen in, in recent weeks, and I, you know, I know you mentioned Lovren there, and um, sort of his struggles in the past, but you're hoping it, it'll be Matip and Van Dijk. But do you think Matt, um, do you think Van Dijk, uh, his inclusion basically neutralizes or your know, touch was should neutralize what Benteke could have given them, even though it, it, he is, a, as we know, a limited striker. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think Van Dijk is certainly the best defender in the Premier League right now, and uh, I, I would fancy him one on one against any striker of any kind of profile. I think. He's just positioning and how calm he is and how intelligent he is. He's he's already been such a good signing. And I think with a full preseason under his belt, which he will have because the Netherlands aren't going to the World Cup, and a, a regular partner of a similar-ish quality, we're not going to get as good, but someone who is in, in the same stratosphere as him, because Lovren and Matip certainly aren't, he'll grow even further. And it's something that uh, we we'll re- really can look forward to. But I think you mentioned Benteke, but their other striker, uh, Sorland, who is a Norwegian guy yeah, who is yeah. massive as well. So that's two very big direct physical threats. Uh, I'm not sure if the synergy between him and Benteke will be particularly good. I can't ever recall Benteke actually combining too well with anybody else. But uh, on paper, they seem very similar. So I don't know if they're going to combine well uh, in future, but it will certainly give uh, our, our two center halves who are Two big men, in fairness, and uh, something to think about. No, for sure. Yeah, I think the Norwegian striker you mentioned actually. I think he's a, he's a little bit more more mobile than Medeke currently is as well. I say currently has been ever since that injury, really. But um, yeah, I think yeah, just to your point, I, I, I don't ever remember him sort of linking up too well with anybody else. So I imagine it is going to be one or the other for for Hodgson. You mentioned Emery Jean there, and and and, and we'll come to him later on actually. But um. In terms of how you expect Hodgson to approach the game, I mean, I saw that United game, I saw the Spurs game as well, and I thought that um, the way in which they approached it, they they, they did have a go. They, they did try and play to their strengths where they could do. Perhaps they were too open for their own good, to be honest, because they got cut through at will at times. And, and, and you'd imagine we were, we were a far better counter-attacking side than, than United are, and, and even have more firepower than Spurs, obviously. So you'd imagine that would play into our hands. But do you, do you expect Hodgson to be ultra conservative or, or does the fact that they're at home you know, that expectation that they'll try and come and get the points try and get themselves above the, the relegation zone that could play into our hands couldn't it I think yeah that's what you hope anyway but Hodgson as we know is someone who will always kind of let you down <laughs> and yeah. do do things that you don't think you'll do because like a lot of people thought he'd be quite good at Liverpool when he wasn't um, yeah I watched that United game and they seem to be they seem to look to get Townsend on the ball quite often in the absence of Zaha. So, I mean, you know what's coming when Townsend gets the ball, like Shanta, Iron Robin, he's going to do the same thing every say, single yeah, time. There's a real hint of un- unpredictability around uh, Townsend and his movement, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Coming in on the trusty left foot, I'm left footed myself, I know his pain. Um, but yeah, so I think they'll be quite wing heavy and they'll try to uh, expose Robertson and Trent Alexander Arnold through uh, Townsend and Zaha, respectively. but like provided that Mane and Salah on either side kind of uh you know assist a little bit and help uh I think we can kind of neutralize that and once that's the case we can really pin them in through pressing because they definitely don't have anybody in the field that has the capacity to play through that I mean Kabali is a shadow of the player he used to be and uh MacArthur Milihovic uh that's not really the profile of player that they are so like provided we get our pressing right and we can play a very high line and there's good communication organization, we can kind of keep them penned in. Um, 
So yeah, I think that would probably be the way they look to play, but uh, we have the kind of antidote to that as such. Yeah, and I think sort of plenty of sort of simplistic pundits if if they're looking at this game and thinking about how, you know, the ways in which Paris could potentially hurt us and things like that, you'd imagine them sort of suggesting that you know, the likes of Benteke could target, carry us, make him uncomfortable, things like that. You're not worried about that, are you? No. Uh, I mean, Carrius has been has been much improved in the last few months, but I don't think that's a flash in the pan. That's just him returning to norm after giving a proper run in the team with a with a good vocal presence and Van Dijk in front of him. I knew him from Mainz, so uh, I have trust in Carrius. Uh, there's a lot of conjecture about whether or not we might sign a goalkeeper. I'm always up to upgrading any of our players, but. As things stand, I think there's bigger fish to fry than replacing Loris Carius, and uh, he's not someone I worry about at all. No, I completely agree. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see sort of just how proactive he can be in a game like this, because obviously he's, he's he's keen to release the ball very early when he can do, but you'd imagine, um, or, or, or you'd wonder at least just how many opportunities there are going to be to do that with, a, with us facing a Hodgson side. So, I mean, in, in terms of looking at Palace then and uh, sort of the ways in which they could potentially hurt us, and we, we, we sort of t- talked a few of those threats down. Then, uh, just with sort of dimensions of our own players and things like that. But so, so do you think it is firmly a sort of us looking at this game and with all the history, all the all the baggage, as you mentioned earlier, and that's how we sort of unnerve ourselves. But really, when we're matching up on paper, and I know it's not as simple as that, and we'll we'll come on later to talk about the early kickoffs and just why that is that we, we seem to struggle with those. Um, but. Aside from that, is, is there anything else in Paris's team that you think could cause us trouble? You know, based on some of the injuries we have. Um, they have some big men in their team, so they'll always be a threat uh, from set pieces. Uh, even their kind of backline, even their some of their fullbacks are, are quite big men. So set pieces will always be the danger. And like I mentioned, second balls. But like armory is so limited relative to ours that. Like they can only really hurt you in two to three ways, and most of the time it's kind of predicated on you making errors and you not being on your on your game. So this is kind of why I was getting to the point that the chances of us not being that good are a little bit higher than they'd usually be because the players will only reassemble probably Wednesday and Thursday, and they won't have a whole lot of time to kind of uh, to work as a unit ahead of the game. But if we're if we're on our game in any way, shape, or form, we should win. I mean. This isn't a vintage Premier League uh, below the top six. Like It's actually quite poor. So for this Palace team, as much as you know, Hodgson has kind of uh, has kind of picked up their form uh, to what they were because they went 10 games without winning at the start of the season. Off the top of my head, I don't think they won in 10. Yeah, the bar was low, definitely. wasn't it? The bar was low for, for Roy. Yeah, and like they were trying to play like possession football with a team that was built for counter-attack and it was... It was massively counterintuitive what they were trying to do there. So as much as uh, as much as like they've done well to kind of get out of the relegation zone, it's still to, that the difference between the top six and the rest is absolutely massive. And this is the Liverpool side that shouldn't have any reason whatsoever to fear Palace. I mean, you never know, but if we're in any way, shape, or form near our best, we'll win. No, you'd imagine that would be the case, yeah, for sure. I, I, I should. Just thinking of another player over the years who's really, really pissed me off in, the, in, in this sort of game, and, it's, and that's Jason Punchin. Always seems oh. to pop up like, uh, uh, around the box, makes nuisance of himself, gets involved in sort of like you know, tasty tackles, things like that. Always seems to sort of get involved. And he, he's, he's another one I'm looking forward to facing. 
Another thing I was thinking of, just as you mentioned that, is how many bogey managers of Liverpool's have managed Palace. So you have Allardyce, <laughs> you have Pardew, and you have Pulis. Yeah. Like, they're the banes of my life. I can't. It's not that I have anything against British managers, but those three just the most cocksure, arrogant, and they're poor managers generally. But their records against Liverpool are actually quite good, and it just does my head in no end. And they've all seemed to have managed Palace in the last five years. So uh, maybe that kind of speaks to why their record against us is so good, as yeah. opposed to any kind of players they've had. Yeah, I think we almost psych ourselves out when it comes to them because we're so so desperate to beat them or not. Or not yeah. lose against them. You, you mentioned Allardyce, Pardew for one. I remember when, when when Klopp did lose that game against Pardew, and in the post-match interviews, he was really giving it large, like he'd been, oh, he he dethroned you know, like the great king of gegenpressing, what like three or four games into his into yeah. into his tenure at Liverpool, and then, and then you had Klopp in the uh, in the post-match press conference as well, going like he's so fucking like annoyed about the Palace game, like a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, following that as well. So I think, I think it is one, especially when I, I think back to that four-two win against Palace and just the focus that was put upon that game, or or seemed to be anyway. Um, just on fullbacks, and just before we come on to talk about Liverpool after the break, but just on fullbacks, there we mentioned Trent and, and Robertson. There'd be no reason in your mind where, where you think you, you'd want to change, um, say either Robertson should he have a knock for for the likes of Moreno who who. I seem to remember having a good game against Palace over the years. Yeah, he had a very good game there last season, and I was kind of hoping that he might stay in the team after that. But uh, he didn't know what came in in Milner. So, yeah, and Moreno is the obvious one if, if there's any way that uh, that Robertson isn't isn't fit. But even if Robertson is like 90%, I play him because uh, he's building up a nice rapport with uh, Van Dijk on the left side of the defence. So... Whereas Klopp is happy to rotate the right side of centre half for some reason, I wish he'd just make a decision and stick with Matip. Uh, I think it's important to build familiarity between players in the defence. Like nowhere else, it's so much reliance on partnerships. So I would look uh, as much as possible to keep that kind of uh, to keep that synergy going between the two. But like, I'd have no problem with bringing Moreno in. Um, no matter what kind of revisionism people try to have on Twitter, Moreno has been absolutely excellent for Sevilla away this season. So if if you were to say to me, could Moreno do it for ninety minutes against Crystal Palace? He he absolutely can. But uh, my first choice would be to stick with Robertson. Yeah, I know what you mean about sort of breeding that familiarity around, uh, amongst the back four. It is a bit annoying that sort of Van Dijk's partner seems to be sort of continually rotated between Matip and Lovren, and especially given the sort of um, performances we've we've seen from Lovren over the years at at Palace, <laughs> I really really wouldn't want that at all. Uh, at, as you mentioned as well, I think Moreno, sort of the most active I've seen him recently, has always been on Instagram because you know, he's really not getting any sort of game time whatsoever. So, yeah, I I, I wouldn't mind seeing him, but I, I I do imagine we're going to be seeing seeing Robertson. Obviously, obviously talking about Liverpool, and you know, we're sitting in third currently, sort of two points above Spurs um, as we enter that international break. So, I was speaking about on that on that seven match preview with with Cuzzy and Joe earlier. Um, earlier last week, just talking about how we can really sort of relieve the pressure off us a little bit in terms of this top four finish that we're still fighting to, to secure, should we beat Palace and Everton, obviously that those games separated by the first leg uh, against City in the Champions League, that huge game of course um, to contend with it, and you'd imagine Klopp would really like it if we just get these two games out of the way, six points in the bag we can sort of 
have one eye off the league a little bit and try and really, really focus on these two Champions League games um, without having to worry about that. Um, what I wanted to start on was, you mentioned Emre Jean there, and if he's fit, you, you'd put him in. But I was going to say, it's unlikely, given what we've heard of him sort of pulling up and training in Germany as well, um, with that back injury, obviously that nice flight as well to contend with. Would you throw him in if he wasn't 100% for this game, you know, with the knowledge that you've got that City game on the horizon? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, if there was if there was any chance maybe that he would aggravate aggravate something, I probably wouldn't play him because as much as I want, would want him to kind of help out Trent in that midfield with Zaha, we can win this game without Emre Chan, no matter who plays there, whether it's Henderson or whatever he decides to do. So if if there was a chance he could aggravate his injury and make it worse and miss the City games, then no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't play him. I would just I would probably go with Henderson there. Yeah, and, and you imagine Milner could sort of do a job there, sort of helping out in terms of doing that to support the fullback as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Milner has actually been very good the last couple of months. Uh, I remember him combining very well with Robertson, kind of as a wide centre midfielder away to uh, Huddersfield. So. Maybe he could do that role, but in a more defensive capacity and help out Trent against uh, against Crystal Palace. I mean, I've given Milner a lot of flack over the years, but, you know, he's very committed. Um, he, he, he'll do exactly what a manager wants him to do and to the best of his ability. So if his, if his role for the day is basically double up on Trent and help him out, then uh, he'll do it and he'll, uh, he'll likely do it quite well from his experience playing at left back. I think he could really help and uh, kind of and nullify and ster- sterilize the threat that uh, Zaha will give them. So he's uh, he's actually quite a good shout to, to put in. I would probably play him even if Chan is fit. Yeah, I, I was just thinking as well, because I'll, out of our midfielder, um, all, all the options we've got available to us, out of all those midfielders, I think Milner would probably be one of them who actually hasn't played at all, because I think he obviously retired from international duty. Um on holiday, I'm sure he's doing sort of shuttle runs on holiday wherever he is. So he's he's, he's keeping fit. But Henderson's played, um, Chamberlain's played tonight, of course, and Wijnaldum. I'm not sure whether he played at all, but um, yeah, you'd imagine of our options, he's probably one of the freshest. So yeah, well, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him to see him start. But just to ask you, I mean, um, if it was to be Milner and, and if Chan isn't fit, how would you sort of line up in midfield there? Would you go with Sort of a mixture of Wijnaldum, Milner, and uh, and, H- and Henderson, or would you or would you look to put Chamberlain in there just to inject a bit of urgency? Yeah, I think I would play Chamberlain. Uh, Wijnaldum is an anomaly because he can be so anonymous away from home against kind of the poorer teams, and then he would show up at Anfield and be absolutely sensational against one of the big teams. He, he's a, I like him, but he's a strange player, and too often he's anonymous away from home. So I think I would go with Chamberlain because. Uh, like I mentioned as well, Chamberlain is kind of an ex-winger, so if it ever was the case, if he was playing centre midfield, he could kind of drift into these wide areas and maybe kind of help out his uh, help out his fullback, and he would also keep their fullbacks and wide players kind of more pinned in because he has a threat of kind of um, playing in those half spaces or even drifting out further wide. So uh, he's a player that uh, I think is excellent in the transition. Uh, while he's not the most technically polished players, I think he can quite. He can grow and improve and improve quite a lot under Klopp, and uh, certainly for most games he would be in my starting eleven. No, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah, he, he he seemed to do, to do that well tonight for England against Italy. Actually, in terms of just finding himself in those half spaces, which of course he, he he's been regularly 
um, found it for Liverpool so far and, and making himself useful just purely by dribbling round players, driving past players and and when you perhaps lack creativity in that midfield, as we do, I think um, that that could prove pretty useful. So, so Wijnaldum, then, would you sort of almost be tempted to play him against that um, in that small game against City at Anfield? Then <laughs> it's the kind of game he generally excels in, and uh, he's actually quite he's actually quite tuned in defensively. Uh, people remember him playing <laughs> centre half against Brighton and in three the season. Say it was the first time he's <laughs> he ever no played there. Where he was. <laughs> No, he hadn't a clue. But and a lot of the big games Anfield, which we've typically been quite good in in Jurgen Klopp's reign, he's been very good. Uh, he's excellent at contesting fifty-fifty balls. He's very, very strong. I don't know if it's a Dutch Surinamese thing, but the way he uses Iris is kind of like Hasselbank. Very, no, very adept. Yeah, very adept at doing that. Kind of using his Iris to shield the ball. So uh, he, he he excels in these games at Anfield. But I'm not sure if I'd use him. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if I'd use him this weekend. Uh, against Palace, certainly not from the start anyway, but he would be a prime candidate, I think, to start against City. No, for sure. And I think, as you mentioned, so with the likes of Henderson in the midfield, with Milner and Chamberlain, you'd imagine that would be enough against a side like Palace, who I don't think are going to give us too much trouble there in terms of um, how they sort of dominate possession or, or, or anything like that. But um, we spoke about fullbacks, spoke about Gomez's injury and Trent coming in and perhaps the, the challenges he'll face. But um, fullbacks are, are an area where I sort of, sort of, sort of signalled in on those um, in that seven-match preview, just talking about sort of the, the tough challenges that are coming up. So obviously uh, this game will be Zahar coming back. And he's always a tough little challenge. And, and then you've got uh, the small matter of Leroy Sané and uh, and Sterling um, for, for City, you know, Potentially, uh, Gabriel Jesus, if, if, if Pep chooses to sort of play him out wide as well. Um, do you th- how key do you think our fullbacks are going to be in, in, in the next couple of games, even the remainder of the season, to be honest? Because it is an area where, despite some of the impressive performances from you know, Robertson, for example, uh, right back seems to have been a continual sort of learning process. But do you think that's an area where teams will try and get at us? Yeah, because. Especially teams who would look to sit back passes because the way our front three play, they're so narrow. Um, Mane plays off the left, right-footed. Salah plays off the right, left-footed. So it's incumbent on the fullbacks to kind of provide that width and go forward an awful lot. So a lot of teams would be thinking, well, if they're going to bomb on, there's a chance that we could kind of play in behind them and kind of be very wing-heavy in their approach. So the fullbacks are, are really key for us in transitional phases and attacking phases and uh, indeed in defensive phases. And it's... Uh, it's something I think that uh, Van Dijk has really helped a lot with his communication to uh, to his fullback, and uh, it's maybe our right back this season has been exposed a little bit uh, playing either beside Massive or a Lovren. But again, our right backs this season have been like 20 and 19 years of age, uh, both probably not even that natural there, and they've done very well. They've it, they've been commendably good there, and uh, they will learn from their mistakes. I'm very sure. So. While a right back is probably an area with teams that would look to expose us on, I I think uh, either uh, either Gomez hopefully he'll be back when we still have important games to play because he's going to be ruled out for about a month. So hopefully we still have games of relevance to play in early May, i.e. a good run in Europe or Trent. Um, I I, I think they I think they will uh, stand up and be counted because they're going to have to. They have no choice, and sometimes the best thing to have is a gun to your head. Absolutely, I think yeah, sort of. 
when you talk about tough tests, Leroy Sané is going to be a difficult one for sure. And, and, and we saw how he sort of managed to completely roll Gomez twice in that game at Anfield earlier in the season. And uh, yeah, perhaps Trent's going to have, an, have his turn to have a go now against one, let's face it, one of the trickiest wingers in Zahar. And, and then, of course, one of the quickest in the, in Sané. And, and you'd also imagine as well, as simplistic as it is, that Hodgson's looked at that Lukaku you know, flick-on header past the past lover and um, you know, backing onto Trent being out of position, for example. And, and although you'd imagine Trent's watched that routinely to try and sort of get the better of it and make sure he doesn't do it again, I'm sure that's a tactic that Palace will try and employ um, in terms of winning those flick-ons because it's a pretty pretty bog standard tactic. But um, in terms of further rotation than it ahead of that City game, we spoke a little bit about Klopp maybe wanting to. If you, if you get six points from from Palace and Everton, you can, can really really focus on, the, on on that second leg and not have to really worry about this keeping an eye on the league too much because we've been in a pretty comfortable position there. Should Chelsea and Chelsea and Spurs draw, beat one beat one of the other, whatever happens there. But um, would you rotate any of the front three for this game? You know, bearing bearing in mind the fixtures that we've got uh, coming up. No, I don't think that I would. And uh, I mean, it was something that Klopp mentioned during that period in November and December when he rotated an awful lot. It was basically with an eye to keeping the players fresh and firing until the end of the season. So I don't know if we could just parachute someone into the front three and expect them to just kind of uh, pick up the slack in a major way because um, a lot of them haven't really played that much or even that well this season. I mean, Ings has been kind of preferred to Solanke as the bench option in the last month or so. But he hasn't really torn up any trees, so I would look to uh, I would look to kind of win the game early on, and then maybe withdraw them as the game goes on. But uh, you're dead right. We should really, I mean, the derby is a derby. We're always going to want to win that regardless. But should we get through this kind of run of games with six points, then you're getting into the time of the season where a lot of teams, like you mentioned earlier, are on the beach and they've kind of already declared for the season. Hopefully, West Brom are officially relegated by the time we go there. So you know. <laughs> Their kind of minds will be elsewhere. They'll probably be thinking about robbing taxis on their next preseason tour, or, you know, something like that. So that could be maybe a bank or three points. And uh, just, I just don't want to play teams towards the end of the season that have anything to play for. We need to box off fourth as quick as possible and hopefully still be in Europe. And then we can just focus all of our energy into that, which uh, people may, may remember Klopp done that in the build up to the Europa League final in 2016. Yeah. Kind of took his, uh, I remember we sent an absolute you know, a shambles of a team away to Swansea and we lost. But like, so there could be something similar happen provided uh, we have fourth wrapped up uh, relatively soon. Yeah, I think especially with that sort of automatic qualification that you now get for any of those places, it has sort of made the sort of desire to finish a little bit higher, slightly less important, of course, especially if you are going deep into Europe. But yeah, you, you mentioned those other teams, West Brom, you'd imagine would be relegated by then, even mathematically, Bournemouth, Stoke, who, who on a dreadful run. Chelsea's that that one game in the in there in terms of the penultimate game of the season where you really don't want to be having to fight for anything when you come to that one. And you, you, you'd hope that's just a free sort of a free game that we can sort of express ourselves in, try and try and win it. And then of course Brighton at the end of the season, uh, firmly firmly on the beach in every sense of the word. <laughs> you'd hope so. Anyway. I think. Yeah, I think. Um... I think a lot of those games, we've probably got the easiest run-in relative to our rivals. So Chelsea away will obviously be a difficult game. 
But I was thinking lately, remember in 2003 when Chelsea beat us in the last game of the season to get Champions League? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, just, just, just for Gronkier's winner, and then Abramovich bought the club like a couple of weeks yeah. later. And, like it was a really cathartic moment in the history of Chelsea. Like got them into the Champions League, and then kind of put them on the platform to go on and dominate. So hopefully the kind of reverse of that happens, where we kind of go there and you know really put the nail in the coffin of their Champions League aspirations uh, for next season, and hopefully that will kind of signify maybe uh, maybe a period of them being in the doldrums. So uh, I, I I like my revenge. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, don't want any sort of any sort of catharsis for Chelsea whatsoever. And I think um, you mentioned they're putting the nail in the coffin for you know, not only the Champions League hopes for next season, but then you think about you know, Conte and the way in which you know, it doesn't look like the dressing room's turned on him at all. But obviously, if if, if results seem to uh, fall out a little bit, and as you mentioned, Champions League becomes. You know, not a possibility for them, you would imagine, based on all all the sorts of briefing that he's putting into press conferences, all, all sorts of rumours around the club that he, he he might not be there next season anyway, and and we could perhaps give that sort of final blow. I'd much rather we we play them then as opposed to when they've already you know, signed Gus Hiddink as a temporary manager for the last <laughs> the last four games of the season. So because they're bound to go unbeaten in all of those, but um. How would you expect us to line up there? Obviously, we've spoken about a few of the injury concerns at fullback, Shannon midfield as well. Um, front three picks itself. You know, I guess Van Dijk and Carrius pick themselves. You, you want Matip in, but um, how would you like like us to line up? Would you would you cater anything specifically to to, to Palace's threats, or is it just about looking looking after ourselves? So I guess if we're going to go under the kind of hypothesis that Chan isn't going to play, I would go Carius, Alexander-Arnold, Matip, Van Dijk, Robertson, and Henderson, Milner, Oxlade-Chamberlain, and then the front three, like you say, picks itself. Um, it might seem a little bit conservative putting Milner in there, but uh, it has it has a, a, there's an idea, there's a method behind the madness, and that is to basically assist Alexander-Arnold um, and cover for him when he goes forward with the threat of Zaha. And if we nullify Zaha, we nullify Palace. And, yeah, uh, there's, there's nothing conservative uh, about putting uh, the, the top assist merchant in Champions League <laughs> in, in the midfield. He's absolutely had a ridiculous season. He's gone from being like a left-back who was much maligned last season to somehow like just being this kind of utility assist machine and he's actually taking the social media lately and just in the most like yeah. dry sense of humor ever i kind of i actually kind of starting to love him now i never really liked him until this season but uh <laughs> milner is my boy now yeah i think all all i'm waiting on from from jimmy milner is a is is a blog really i, th- I think we we, we we you got the instagram now all, all we need is a sort of like a I'm not sure he'll stretch to a YouTube vlogger series about what he's doing. Just, just the most boring stuff. Oh, obviously, I don't think he's advice on on composts and like what wheelbarrows <laughs> to buy if you want to put like a potato patch in your garden. Does an interview right series where he gets he, he gets people in and interviews them. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think it could be pretty impressive. But no, I think I've been, I've been as surprised as you in terms of Milner sort of turn around into this utility player who um, has, really seemed to combine well in recent weeks with the fullbacks. Uh, shows a, a new sense of sort of discipline when it comes to his, his his defensive role as well. Maybe it is him sort of realizing perhaps his he's always been a bit of a, a utility player for us, but perhaps next season with the people coming in, he's, he's aware that he's, he's not going to get 
the same sort of chances. This is the last hurrah for 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 Milner. I think it's going to be particularly useful for us. But um, just on the, the last thing I want to sort of talk about before we get to sort of the, the the predictions for for the game was this sort of who do we've had not against Palace in general, but just early kickoffs. And not to add to that as well, it's an early kickoff after an international break as well, which are never often too kind to us anyway. We also to drop our points per game to about what's it, like one point three or something like that. Um, yeah. Why do you think it is? Do you think it is that lack of consistency that you know, the players getting back together, um, not having a lot of time to train? Is it as simple as that? Yeah, I think definitely. And typically, it's against teams who wouldn't have as many internationals, so they have literally two weeks of preparation specifically for Liverpool. They have like they have their combinations. They might have the two centre midfielders together, two centre halves, strikers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think it's just uh, I think it's just nearly as simple as that. And also because we talk about it, there's nearly kind of uh, a kind yeah. of determinism to it. Klopp keeps mentioning it because he keeps mentioning it. It's out there, and then like maybe even on the smallest level imaginable, it's on the back of the players' minds. So <laughs> he absolutely hates it. He's not used to it. He he was saying recently that's like that's the time you should be eating breakfast, not playing football. So uh, I think our actually our go, our points to game ratio is like one point less, which is kind of significant in those fixtures than it is generally. So uh, there's no time like the present to kind of end that voodoo and uh, put us in a good position for the end of the season. No, absolutely. I think yeah, Palace and Everton as a pair of games, obviously separated by that City one. Uh, yeah, if 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 we can just get through those, I think then we'll be we'll be well set for the rest of the season. So um. Just to wrap it up, then obviously a bit of a briefer pod this week, but um, I think it's yeah, fairly self-explanatory what what we're going to expect from the Hodge and from Palace. But um, what would be your prediction for the game then? You're bearing in mind what, what we've just said about sort of not psyching ourselves out with the international break and the early kickoff. Um, nice to hear that Klopp's a brunch man there in terms of twelve thirty being <laughs> time for breakfast and things like that. But what would you uh, go for, for for predictions? I think. Uh... It'll be 2-0. We won't blow them off the park because, like I mentioned, against Spurs and against United, they were game. Like Their game plan was limited and they sat very deep and weren't totally ambitious at some parts of those games. But uh, just nobody in, in world football, I think, right now could withstand our uh, our front three and certainly not Crystal Palace. So I think based on that, we'll have too much of them. It'll be a 2-0 win and hopefully we get to a stage where the game is dead and we can kind of give the front three lads a bit of rest ahead of City. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think I'll echo you actually in terms of a two 0 It's 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 been a while since it's sort of a nice nice calm two 0 uh, I say a while, but that was, it was obviously that obviously that, that that Newcastle game that we had against Rafa, where I thought that was going to be more difficult than it turned out to be. Nice two 0 there, but you, you'd hope if uh, a sort of game where Salah perhaps scores a goal just right before half time, if if they've had a, any sort of sort of resistance at all. That can make the second half a, a much more easy uh, job for us. Take some of the players off, as you mentioned, rest them, givings, a run, things like that. So, yeah, I'm gonna go two 0 as well. But um, yeah, th- th- just thanks so much, John, for helping us come on and preview this game. Obviously, after international break, where's it? Not too much has happened. I know Salah scored again, but what's new? I know Van Dijk managed to score a nice little volley there. He's he's, he's now captain of the captain of the Netherlands as well. So that's obviously positive for us. But yeah, not not too much happening. So. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on, helping us preview the upcoming game. And to all those who listened, obviously we're going to be on a little bit of a break um, with that Champions League game in between. But uh, um, Gags will be back to help you preview the big derby game 
uh, and then I'll be back for the Bournemouth game um, after that. So it's a small little break for me, but uh, uh, thanks so much for listening. And in the meantime, I just encourage you, of course, to check out all the great content over on AI Pro. Um, you know, Trev, uh, Gags, the, the UP guys, uh, Jan Mulby, plenty of uh, of stuff to be uh, to be listening into there. So yeah, be be sure to subscribe to that and uh, get in here for the great content. So yeah. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and uh, we'll be back uh, to, to Peter Derby uh, shortly in a couple of weeks. Sports Social Podcast Network.